What are the three different classes of investors that are the most likely capital sources for Opportunity Zone funds or deals? And what are some tips for approaching and pitching to them? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson. Do you have an Opportunity Zone deal? or fund that you're raising capital for? If so, today's episode is for you. Joining me on the podcast today are Dave Koontz and Will Walker. Dave is managing partner and general manager of Hall Labs, a family office based in Provo, Utah. And Will is a private equity veteran and and advisor to Hall Labs. They join us from opposite sides of the country today. Dave is coming to us from New York, and Will joins us from Laguna Beach, California. Dave and Will, great to have you guys on the show. Welcome. Thanks, Jimmy. I appreciate it. Yeah, Jimmy, good to hear hear from you. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you both for for joining me today. So, you know, Dave, we've been talking back and forth for a little while, and, and you've identified for me three sources of capital that are available for Opportunity Zone fundraising. Can, can you briefly uh, list and, and briefly describe those three different sources of capital that exist for OZ funds and deals to go after? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's an interesting question, Jimmy, because, you know, the, the landscape, I think, when we originally approached and kind of thought through um, what our strategy was going to be, you know, looked a little bit wider um, than, than it ended up with. So, um, you know, you mentioned three, and you know we can kind of talk through those as as being, you know, high net worth, um, angel investors, and really family offices. But you know, in thinking through kind of our strategy as a team, you know, we had thought there'd be more institutional and and, and venture capital interest. Um, but the reality is, is when you kind of think through the incentives that were structured through um the OZ plan, they they really don't apply um to those two sources of income. So um you know which leaves us with uh with those three that we we spoke about. So um yeah that's uh that's kind of where we are today and we're we're talking to uh to all of them as we get out there and uh and continue to uh to market um Paul Venture. Yeah so if we had done this episode a year or two ago it might have been titled the five different sources of capital, but you've narrowed that down to three. Uh, maybe we could we can talk a little bit about first of all eliminating those first two. Uh, can you go into more detail as to why not venture capital and why not institutional, and then we'll dive into the the three main ones that are working. Yeah, well, I think you you just have to look at them as uh you know as what they do and and what benefits you know, could potentially be available. And what it comes down to is if it's, you know, if what you do is your core business and where you're generating um, gains from is your core business, it's reported as regular income, not a capital gain. So that's not to say that there are people that work within the venture capital community or people that work within uh, hedge funds or other institutional or asset managers 
that would have uh, events that would draw a, uh, a capital gain. But as a, as a whole, as a group, um, I wouldn't be marketing towards venture capital firms um, or hedge funds or, or asset managers, um, so to say. But there are a lot of benefits of working with um, these other three. And some of those institutions like RIAs and wealth managers, although their firm hasn't been a source, those individuals have been a, uh, an incredible source of referring us to people that do have capital gains and, and have participated uh, as investors. Yeah, the clients that they have access to and the, and the network they have access to can be invaluable. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, well, let's dive in now to those three sources of capital that exist for OZ funds and deals to go after. You identified them as high net worth, angel investors, and family offices. Uh, could, could you go into a little bit of the psychology behind approaching each one? I'm curious, what are the motives behind how each one of those different investor types act? And basically, what are some tips for approaching each one as a, an OZ deal sponsor or fund issuer? Uh, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, you know, and I think the first thing is creating a strategy about, you know, how do you find them? And, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of art, a little bit of science, and um, they're each different. So as, as I think about, you know, the ultra high net worth universe, um, I think people have uh, different qualifications for what would be considered um, a high net worth person. But the reality is, is all uh, participants within Opportunity Zone funds and investments need to be accredited investors. And uh, I think everyone knows, uh, you know, what qualifies and the qualifications of uh, an accredited investor. Um, but happy to go into that if uh, if that's something we you'd like me to touch on. But as far as the uh, the high net worths, where where we've found the best sources of identifying those people with capital gains, is thinking about what actually generates a capital gain. And like we said earlier, those tax advisors, wealth managers, RIAs, real estate agents, believe it or not, art advisors, art became something that is no longer possible to use 1031 as a like-for-like -like exchange. So this was really able to, to fill a hole where there was no source for of a tax incentive when you uh, received the capital gain on, uh, on the sale of that asset. And the other one that we found that was pretty interesting is farmers. Large farms that are selling cattle, poultry, things of that nature uh, actually generate monthly capital gains. So those are just some of the, uh, the interesting ones that, that we've been able to find that kind of fall within that ultra high net worth universe. And then as I think about angels, the nice thing about the angel universe is they've actually gotten wildly cooperative and extremely structured over kind of the last five years. And, you know, those are, you know, we've seen them by geography, angel groups by that are alumni of universities, uh, former colleagues, and you know they tend to be, you know, former startup founders themselves, which I really like. 
and because they understand the the early stage companies and kind of the process that that goes through uh, with those early stage companies, they are very helpful through the process. But you know, I've seen them do everything from coordinate pitch days uh, to their members to structuring um, different funds to take advantage of aggregating capital on their side. So um, that angel community is, you know, to me, it is almost becoming uh, um, more institutionalized uh, every day. And then lastly is the, you know, the elusive family office um, and the multifamily office. And I think, you know, lots of folks have, you know, tried to crack the, the family office universe. And it's just one that, you know, you have to, you really have to leverage your relationships well. Um, so that works on the service provider side also. So working with those, those wealth managers and people that have provided services to families. Um, but the reality is, is the trend that family offices have wanted to do more direct deals and ha has increased dramatically. So I have seen families want to participate more, not only just on the fund side, but on the direct deal side, because they have their own um, opportunity zone fund themselves that they're managing. And we're fortunate enough to be able to, to offer both products to um, the investor community. So that kind of, that, you know, puts together the, the universe, but, you know, happy to, happy to answer any, uh, any additional questions on, on either of the three. No, that's great. So those three, again, are high net worth, angel investors, and family offices. And you're intimately familiar with the third one because you work for a family office yourself. Uh, getting back to your point about accredited investors, I did just want to clarify on that. What an accredited investor is, is uh, a person who has an annual income exceeding $200,000 for the last couple of years, $300,000 if filing jointly, um, or has a net worth exceeding $1 million. I believe there may be one or two other uh, exceptions to that rule as well. There, the one exception in there, Jimmy, is that if you are um, someone who is licensed, uh, federally licensed within the investment universe, um, so if you hold a, a FINRA license, then you, are, you qualify as an exception because they're assuming at that point that you are a professional investor. Yes, very good. And the reason for that is because the way that these funds are set up is that they have to file for an exemption with the SEC under Regulation D, oftentimes either Rule 506B or 506C. I don't want to get in the weeds too much there. Uh, actually, I did a podcast episode on that with Clem Turner a while back where we really go in the weeds on that. So I would encourage you to check out that episode if you have any more uh, questions about that point. Um but let's not harp on that too long. But suffice it to say, yeah, that's why uh, a lot of these funds are, or all the funds that are that are that are raising capital from uh, third-party investors ha have to require that their investors are accredited. Will, I wanted to bring you in here. Could you go into your background a little bit uh, for a moment, and then uh, answer this question for me? How should people who are looking to raise capital for an opportunity zone fund or an OZ deal, how should they prepare to pitch to anchor investors or lead investors, whether it's a family office or an angel group? What are some tips? What should be included in their pitch deck? And uh, just generally, what should they be looking 
to do when they're pitching to different investor groups? Thanks, Jimmy. Um, you know, my I've been structuring, raising capital and structuring deals and advising companies for over 20, 24 years. And uh, I really want to talk about how to prepare, you know, for when you are meeting or going to uh, propose to an anchor investor, lead investor, whether it be a family office, whether it be an angel group. Um, you know, I work with all of what, what you guys have outlined so far today and, uh, you know, covet them all. But at the same time, it comes down to, you know, being prepared and having the right uh, – uh, questions and comments and that type of thing to make sure you're, you know, you're offering a clear and concise overview of what your your company or project does and why it should be interesting, why it would eventually lead to a large exit, which of course is what most of the professional money, we like to call the professional money or smart money is looking for. But I also want to stress before I get too much into my segment here, you know, how important it is to take the time, prepare and find the right lead investor or anchor investor. So whether it be with a fund or a family office or any of those, it's so important uh, when you're approaching other, you know, LPs or other investors of any class to have that lead or anchor investor in tow already committed. And of course, the bigger the percentage, the more impact it's going to have uh, when you're looking for, you know, other other capital and other strategic partners, capital partners. So just the mindset alone, you know, uh, some of the things, what does your company do? I mean, some are basic, but you want to have it really down uh, when you are having your audience with these with these investor classes, like what does your company do? What's unique about the company, your company? What big problem are you solving? How big is the market opportunity? Um, you know, where are you headquartered? You know, sometimes it can go into a conversation there. You know, we're, we work with a lot of people that are in areas that are very hot right now, like Jimmy is with Texas and others. But how how big can the company get? And then you really want to get into market. You know, you want to paint a clear picture that the, that the market opportunity is meaningful and large and growing, of course. And you'll, you know, get questions like, what's, what's the actual addressable market? You know, what percentage of the market do you plan to go over what period of time to capture? Um, you know, just some, some basic stuff, but at the same time, you want to have it prepared. You want to understand who you're, you're speaking with, what their appetite is. I always like to, if possible, uh, find out their other investments, of course, their strategy uh, with some of their other investments and other people that are involved. If it's an angel group, I again, I want to throw in that I work with a lot of different uh, universities, UCLA, UCI, MIT, you name it, uh, because they all have very fertile, potent uh, angel groups that, you know, are pretty, pretty approachable. But you still, once again, an ounce of preparation is worth a pound of, pound of cure, and it definitely works uh, in your favor here, because you do want to have it interesting. You do want to have it clear and concise and ready to go. So I hope that helps some somewhat. I mean, there's more that I'd love to add, but, you know, I'm Looking forward to having this continue on, uh, Jimmy, as a, a special series, possibly, with your help. But uh, that's kind of my opening salvo here. So I'll turn it back to you and, and Dave. Yeah, I think, you know, just to, to kind of echo some of the, the things that Will had said, I think the most important thing is don't practice on your best investors. And yeah. 
And what what I mean by that is I think we all know um, or as part of our strategy have identified who we would be an ideal investor for us. And unfortunately, I see all too often people get so excited that that's the first call they make. That's the first meeting that they set. And a lot of this is learning as you go. So, you know, get a few of these pitches underneath your belt and like Will said, prepare, understand, and do as much work as you can on them before, whether it's PitchBook, Crunchbase, um, or other resources. And um, get your pitch really tight because there are plenty of investors out there that will push hard during that, uh, during that first meeting. And you want to make sure that you know the answers um, to everything that you're explaining um, and be able to back up those assumptions. No, oh, that's great. Those are, those are great tips on how to pitch from both of you. So, so thank you for providing those insights. Is there a, a, a different approach that you should take with these three different capital sources? Is there a different way you should pitch to high net worths versus how you pitch to angel investors or angel groups versus how you should pitch to family offices? Well, I think the, you know, the big thing is, it's just understanding um, people's expectations. So the nice thing about OZ investments that's different from anything else is the timeline's been created for us. So we don't have to worry about answering those questions about um, fund life or, you know, how long you need to, uh, you know, how long you're, you know, do you expect to, before you get an exit here? Um, but it, it is a little bit different. And part of it is knowing if you are presenting to a couple individuals or if you're presenting to a room. And so that's a, that's definitely a question that I would ask, uh, Jimmy, when you're setting your appointment. And because I'll often find when I'm going to pitch angels that I've thought that I was meeting with one or two, and there's been situations where I've walked into a room of 30. So, and not that that entirely changes your pitch. It's just one of those things that you want to make sure you're, you're prepared for in terms of having materials um, and, you know, mentally prepared as well. Um, when you're ready to uh, to present. And then I would say, you know, on the ultra high net worth side, um, at least within OZ, ev everyone's looking for the same thing. And I think it's, you know, you have to pitch the fundamentals of your offering and let the opportunity zone incentives be the tailwind or, you know, the cherry on top. Because with without these being solid, uh, investments, the incentives themselves don't matter. And, you know, lastly, I think that the biggest one and the, and the biggest change is probably the, the family office side. And not that all investors don't have the ability to do this, but it's, it's asking that question too. Um, can we be more than just a check? And so helping those underlying businesses based upon domain expertise that sits at the family office level or that investor level 
to assist in the accelerating the growth, um, finding additional investors for the fund. Um, don't be scared to ask those questions because uh, most investors will appreciate it. it. I'll just jump in there real quick too, Jimmy. That's a really good point, uh, Dave. I also wanted to say treat, you know, to re, re kind of re-example that what, what Dave's saying here is treat every um, pro proposal that you're going to go into or every meeting you're going to go into. It's a day. It's a dating situation. Yes. But think of it as a marriage, because certainly in OZ uh, format, you're going to be, you know, married for or together for 10 years. So it's really important that you, you know, turn them into the interviewee turns into the interviewer, so to speak, as you, you know, tell them about your project and what's going, what's the, the key points and management teams and exits and all of that, but also to interview you know, them and, and make sure there's a fit there and make sure because they really will appreciate it, especially from the family office standpoint and some of the more professional money, um, you know, that I deal with on a regular basis. They really want to understand they're in for the long haul. They want to really, you really want to get to make sure there is a true fit with their strategy, investment outlook, uh, some of their charters, whatever it is. And certainly with individuals, you know, high net worth accredited individuals as well, they really appreciate it. And it cements that relationship that much faster and trust factor and confidence factor. So it's, uh, it's uh, well worth, you know, thinking about and, and uh, appreciating. No, that's great. That makes perfect sense. So if you are an OZ fund manager or a deal sponsor and you're pitching to someone, you want to be able to have them interview you, of course, you're pitching your deal to them, but you're also interviewing them is what I'm hearing from you. So what, what are some questions that those people should be asking their investors or potential investors when they're in the room pitching to them? I think style is important. Um, so you know, like Will said, do as much research as you can, but ask them about, you know, some of their historical investments and what they look for. Um, in addition to themselves, uh, I would ask about what the process is for evaluating investments there. Is there anyone else involved in that process other than the person or the people that you're speaking to? Um, I would ask about timelines um, because you want to be able to to manage the process to the best of your ability, and that will just show your investor that you know you appreciate their time and respect their time, but you're you know you're also you know you're a professional investor as well. Um, the extent that you can articulate that if you are putting capital into your own funds. Um, you know, I would definitely speak to that because alignment is extremely important to all investors. And it was important for us as we were putting our fund together that, you know, we were not only GPs, but LPs in the fund as well. I think it just changes your relationship. Um, and, you know, speaking to someone as a partner, um, rather than just someone who's managing their money is a very different conversation. So, um, 
Other questions I would ask is just making sure that they understand the type of investments that they're making um, and clarifying you know, that they know the differences between investing in opportunities on real estate versus um, qualified opportunities on businesses because there, there are a bunch of uh, rules that, that differentiate the two and um, understand if someone has a fund that they're running themselves versus committing capital to a fund. Um, I found on more than one occasion, people trying to make a fund investment through their own qualified opportunities on fund. And that is unfortunately something that you can't do. Yeah, it's a big no-no. That's a good point there, Dave. Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, there's a, it's, it's uh, against the regulations to have a fund of funds or invest a fund into another fund, like you mentioned. It would have to come in at that QOZB or project level. That's, that's a good point, point there as well. So that, that's a great question to ask. You can't have both because you can. Um, it's just that the investment that is going into the fund cannot be capital coming out of the opportunity zone fund that that particular person is managing themselves. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Jimmy, I'd also throw in there too, those were really good points, Dave. Uh, what percentage of your funds does this represent? You know, don't be scared or, or timid about asking, you know, especially if it's a, you know, high net worth retail person or even an angel, you know, because usually there is a lead angel, even in an angel group, there's usually a, you know, a lead uh, investor or someone who does the due diligence for the group, that type of thing. So learn who they are and, you know, make sure that you're asking all the, the you know, the money questions, I call it, too. Uh, and that's part of strategy and things that I like to go through on a, you know, on a, a, a a call with these uh, with these groups. So, you know, remember also, like I say, for the link, this 10-year OZ investor of any class that's with you or you're interviewing, you're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing you with, uh, you really want to consider that because they can also, you know, have uh, participation in future rounds. They've helped with syndication, bringing in other investors, that type of thing. And then, you know, there's capital calls. There's all sorts of scenarios that would uh, – where you would want to have that, you know, good communication, good understanding, good relationship, trust factor, uh, all of the above to to move those things forward and take, uh, you know, take positive advantage for, for them and for yourself and project. Yeah, well said, Will. I would just say, lastly, the one thing that, that I hadn't touched on, which I think is, is important, too, is making sure that you articulate your team um, and the expertise that lies within your team and the experience that you have together, um, as well as any, uh, any track record within the particular asset class that you're dealing with. Um, because as someone who, you know, as an angel myself and someone who makes makes investments um, as well, especially within early stage companies as well as early stage real estate and ground up real estate, um, their ability to execute really uh, is probably one of the most, most important things that you want to uh, take a look at. So I, I know that that's the lens that, that I'm being uh, evaluated through as well. Yeah, all great points. Thank you both for... Uh 
for the insight that you've given us today. Uh, I hope that this episode has been valuable for uh, the listeners out there who, especially those who are looking to find investors and raise capital in the Opportunity Zone space. Uh, Gentlemen, before we sign off today, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about each of you? Sure, Uh, sure, Jimmy. Thanks. Uh, uh, Happy to do that, too. Will Will Walker, 4444, the numeral 44, at gmail.com is my email. And, you know, I'd welcome all your listeners uh, to a, you know, strategy call with myself and Dave. Um, you know, through through that, please reach out and you know set my calendar. Love to, you know, have that strategy call. So it's Will W I L L Walker forty four at gmail dot com. Over to you, Dave. Great, thanks, Will. Um, yeah, to you know, to echo Will and and you know, Jimmy. First off, thank you for uh, for having us today. Um, always great to uh, to be on the show and get an opportunity to to speak to. Others within the Opportunity Zone space, but it's uh, it's D K U N Z. That's David Coons. D K U N Z at Hall H A L L V P dot com. And uh, in addition to that, my uh, my cell phone is five zero eight five six one seven seven one seven. And as Jimmy pointed out, that's a that's a Boston phone number, but uh. You know, still, uh, I'm living in New York. <laughs> so happy to take a phone call or an email from anyone. Um, you can also find us on the website at uh, at hallvp.com, H-A-L-L-V-P.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you both. And for our listeners out there today, I will have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website for today's episode. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there you will find links to all of the resources that Dave, Will, and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to link out to both of their email addresses, and I'll get uh, Dave's cell phone number on there as well. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining me. Appreciate it. Great, Jimmy. Thanks for having us. Jimmy, thanks. It was a pleasure as always. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.